Well, good morning to you. It is good to see you all here this morning. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles open, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And if this is your first Sunday with us, we are so glad you're here. A couple reminders. If you haven't heard anything that we've talked about, you can simply hear, you can read the request and or see us online and you can catch up to us. We're looking through the book of Philippians. We're doing it in bite-sized chunks. It should be helpful to you. It's a great, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible because uh, it's about encouragement. Paul is in prison when he writes this. He's got a He's got guards on either of his left or his right, and he is, he, is, he is reaching out to the early church and saying, let me encourage you. Let me support you. Let me remind you of some things. Let me walk alongside you. He's not talking about himself. He's not doing the woe is me. And I, one of the things that God has been teaching me through this whole series is that joy is a choice. And it is hard sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it sometimes just hard to be joyful? You want to, you want to, you want to woe is me. You want to, this isn't fair. Uh, th- you know, it's not uh, uh, Friday of this past week. I, you know, I thought, you know, I think I'll, I'll surprise my little girl and, and go and get her lunch and, uh, and just surprise her. Well, that idea was great until I hit every light and then I got the K-15 train. For those of you that live near the K-15, you feel my pain? Uh, that, and and the, it was one of those trains that wasn't moving um, rapidly. And, I, and I, I called the office at the school and I said, hey, I'm, and my joy was waning rapidly. Because I knew that my time, I was just watching the clock tick. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to get there. Nope, I'm not. And no, I'm not getting there. And so I, my second part of joy was, sweetie, what would you like for lunch? So I called my wife, and so I brought her lunch. So my joy was filled again. But joy is funny because it kind of ebbs and flows. But but God has been teaching me throughout this entire series, more so than any time that I've ever taught this, joy is a choice. And you can find joy if you really look for it because it's there. And even when it's not, even when you're having a hard time and it's not fun, and you're like, man, where do I find joy? You can find it, I promise. And so today, Paul, I think Paul would have loved to live in our day and age because of sports. He really kind of liked sports. He talks about them frequently. And we're going to look at some of the passages. He, he references that a lot in relation to uh, your spiritual journey. And so our theme today is we are to pursue maturity with humility, passion, and a gospel-centeredness. That means it's about Jesus, not about us. And I've said this a lot, and God has been teaching me this a lot, is uh, the biblical joy, because some of you, when I say you ought to be joyful, it doesn't mean you go, it means way more than that. You know, uh, it means way more than when you say, I'm fine. And when you're really not. It means, it, it, so it's, it, I, I've said this, it is an attitude, a choosing to be joyful. It is about where we place our focus. Because Paul could have easily placed the focus on the people on either side of him, but he chose not to. He chose to say, God is my joy, even in my circumstances. Lives with gratitude, let let me back up. We live lives with gratitude when we remember what Christ has done for us. The reason that Paul could have changed and be shackled is he remembered his life the way it was before and how God had done something miraculous in his life and had done something that he was like, wow, I used to be this way and now I'm this way. And that's just so encouraging. And it's really kind of cool because chapter 3 is really a, a kind of a biography, an autobiography of Paul's life. And we're not going to read through the whole, we read through the first part of it, but let me just look at this. It says, Paul gives, Paul gives us a spiritual biography in his past. 
and then he gives it more in his present and then he talks about finishing the race and running hard and he talks about that so we're going to get into a little bit of this and really talk about this race that all of us are running so let's take a look we're in Philippians chapter 3 starting in verse 12 and we've got an insert if some of you who are like to take notes you can also flip it over in the back and you will find uh, a collection of verses just about joy joy was a, a, a thing that God really said is important in our lives and it's, it's, it's how do we find joy? Well, I've given you some references that might be of help to you as well. So let's look at what he said. Paul's words, starting in verse 12, says, he says, not that I've already attained this or am already perfect. He says, in everything you just heard from me, I'm not home yet. I have not arrived spiritually. And there's enough humility in him to say, okay, I've not arrived yet. I still got some ways to go. I've come a ways, but I've still got a ways to go. I've not arrived yet or have attained it, but I press on. Press on means that I'm going to keep going. I'm going to push. Um, I started going back to the DRC uh, in January. And, and then just for fun, if you want to see what your muscles are like, try to do some workout when you haven't done it in a while. You will not, they will not speak to you. Actually, they will flat out rebel. Am I right? Eh, man, you go, you go try to do some physical activity that you don't normally do, and you're going to find out you had muscles that didn't, that were dormant, and they wanted to stay that way. And you have awoken them, and they're now barking at you. And this idea of pressing on, and one of the things I'm doing is as, I, as I, I'm back in it, I'm, I'm trying to keep increasing my weight. Well, it's easy to stay at the low weight. Am I right, Ty? It's easy to stay at the low weight. It's just simply easier. This, it, it just, and after a while, you're like, yeah, this is pretty easy. Then you add a little bit, and you're like, okay, that's not so hard. And you add a little more, and your, your arms start to get on fire. And so I'm, I'm trying to do all that, and this idea that Paul is saying is press on, keep, keep going, don't coast, don't take it easy, press on. He says, but press on to make, my, to make it my own. He goes, he goes, the more I'm pressing on, the more that my relationship is my journey with Jesus. It's mine. It's personal. It's not somebody else's. I can't, I can't, I can't blame it on, I can't say my parents are Christians, or uh, my heritage is this, or I grew up in the church. This is my, it's my own relationship with Christ. Because I love what he says, but I press on to make it my own because, I love this, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Just chew on that. How can you not get excited about pressing on with somebody that says, you're mine. The moment you said yes to me, you're mine. So let's just do this together. Let's press on. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you some quick things I want to walk you through. This idea of finishing well, this idea of going on, it says this, maturing believers know that Christian life is a process. If you know anything about the Christian journey, you have not arrived yet. And just because you gave your heart to God doesn't mean you're just done. That's just the beginning. Am I right? It's a journey. And it's full of peaks and valleys and all kinds of craziness. But it is a journey. It's a process. And, you, and what God is asking you to do is take steps. Regardless of your size of step, it's a step. You could be taking this, but I promise you it's still a step. Doesn't matter. It's a process. Maturing believers humbly acknowledge that they haven't arrived yet. Hear me on that. You haven't arrived yet. I don't care if you've been a Christian as long as I've been alive. You still haven't arrived yet. 
you're on a journey. But that journey is worth doing. It Keep plowing ahead. Keep going because it matters. And Paul is building a case for that very thing that you should be walking with God because, and we're going to see that here in just a minute, that it's a process. Keep going. And this, the third one is this. Maturing believers pray to God to reveal hidden sin that hinders their maturity. See, that's a prayer that we don't really like. We want to pray about somebody else's stuff, their sin, and their life. But man, when was the last time we prayed, God, is there an area of my life that is hindering my maturity? And so when he talks about pressing on, it's a process. It takes time. It acknowledges I haven't gotten there yet. And then it asks God to say, show me some areas of my life that need some attention, that need, that I'm kind of explaining, I'm trying to not, I'm ignoring, I'm, I'm doing the diversion thing. Because he says that mature believers ask God to reveal because when sin is dealt with, maturity, it, it grows. It grows. So look at what he says in verse 13. He says, brothers, brothers is not biological. These are Christian brothers. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He's using race metaphor. This idea of straining. If you've ever watched the Olympics, when the runners, if there's close, if it's a really close race, what do they do? Help me out. They lean forward. And, and if you see like the, the sprinters in particular, man, they're like this. I've actually seen footage on, on where they literally will dive if it's that close. That's not a fun landing, but do the math. But this idea of straining forward, like I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to press on the one thing. He says one thing. I'm going to keep, I'm going to finish. I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. And I like this word forgetting because what Paul is telling us there is two things. This is really important. Don't think too high of your past. Also, don't think too low. Because you know what I've found that people do is they, they hinge their where they are based on their past. Well, God, I remember those good old days. When we'd have revival and be hundreds of people and I used to spend hours in the Word and pray and I would share my faith. Those were the good old days. That's when I used to do those things for you, God. Well, I gotta help. Let me help you out. You can't live on your faith today on that. Those are good things, but what are you doing today? Here's the other part of that. Man, God, I haven't done anything for you for years. Man, God, I... I'm embarrassed that I'm even at church today. I haven't prayed all week. I haven't even looked at your word till you told me to open up my Bible. I've not asked anybody to come to church. I don't do anything for you. I'm embarrassed to say that I'm a Christian. See, there's two ways we can look at this forgetting business. We either think way too high of ourselves based on our past, or we think way too low of ourselves, and we think, man, God, what can you do? I'm a, I'm a ugh. And here's the important thing. Paul understood both. Did he? He absolutely, he could have said, well, God, look what all I've done for you. I've written half of the New Testament. How about that? How many of you have written half of the New Testament? But he also wasn't remembering that he was a persecutor of Christians either. And what he was, what, what he was clearly saying is, I can see myself in either vehicle, too high, too low. And he was saying, I've got to forget both of those because if I don't, I won't keep moving forward. I won't keep pursuing. I won't lean in. 
So what's that one thing? So I love what Oswald Chambers says. He said, thoughts about ourselves hinder our usefulness to God. Too high, too low. Too high, too low. If you think you're all that as a Christian and you think, God, I should be on the all-star team, uh, you've got a problem. If you think, woe is me, you've got that Eeyore mentality, I don't know how you can use me, God. I don't, I'm just, um, let me just tell you, forgetting what lies behind you. Now, let me help you out here. Forgetting doesn't mean you don't learn, right? Learn, but don't let those two things hold you back either. Don't let those two things hijack your relationship now and for the future. And I love what he says. Thoughts for myself hinder my usefulness to God. So let me ask you a question. What's your one thing? What could be that one thing you need to either do or not do so that your relationship with God can be all that it needs to be? Sometimes it's a one thing thing. It's like, God, okay, I need, I need to start doing this or I need to stop doing that. All of us have a one thing. Paul recognized, I, I have this one thing and Christ is my singular focus and I'm going after him and everything else gets tossed aside. I'm going after that. What's your one thing? And Paul used, I told you a little earlier, Paul used this idea of this idea of race, this idea of maturing. He says, one, our Christian journey isn't passive or haphazard. It requires some intentionality. And how do I know that? Well, let me, let me read here. Let me read you what he said. The, Paul said these words out of 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24 through 27. Look at what he says. He says, Do not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives a prize. So run, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not receive a perishable, they receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as, the, as, as, as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, at least after preaching to the others. I'm not be disqualified. He says, man, I'm, I'm going to run a race that matters. And then look at what he said in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to the Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God now there's something about this idea of running a race and not, and not just running aimlessly not just running without a purpose. And what I want to do is I want to inter introduce you to a friend of mine. Her name is Lisa Eddy. And I want to kind of drive this point home. Uh, I'm going to ask Lisa to come up. I want to have her share. We're going to do a little Q&A here because Lisa has a perspective that I think is valuable. So come on up here, Lisa. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Lisa's a runner. How many of you are runners? How many of you are walkers? Okay, good. I feel better already. Uh, how long have you been running? I've been running for about eight years now. Okay. And I understand last week you ran uh, another half marathon. Yes, I did. And how far is that? That is 13.1 miles. God bless you. Mm, that ain't happening. I could think about doing that, but it would, it would not good. So you, you heard me talk about this idea of running a race. Um, what kind of training do you need to go into to get prepared for a race of this magnitude? So you really need to have a firm foundation, just like in our faith. Um, 
you can't go out and just run 13 miles like tomorrow. Uh, you started a couple miles, you build your mileage up as you're going over the weeks. So let me ask you a question. Um, if you decided last sat Sunday, right? It was Sunday morning race. If you had decided just, I got up on a whim, I've eaten good, I had a good night's sleep, I'm going to go try to run that. What would your body tell you? My body would hate me. <laughs> it would hurt. It would hurt. It would very much hurt. And you finished the race. I did. And how many of these have you ran so far? This was my sixth half. Okay, sixth half. And you're getting ready for another one, right? Yes, I am. Um, you heard me read the scripture out of, out of Hebrews. What's the value of having people running with you? So the value of having people run with you is, I, I couldn't run my half races without them. Um, I train with a group. I mentor um, new runners also. And just having that accountability is huge. So where is it along the race where you're like, okay, my legs are aching, my chest hurts, my lungs are on fire, I'm tired. Where is that in that race on a 13? Mile 10. Mile 10. And so what is the value of having a person alongside you at that point? That person beside you is you're confident they're going to push you. They're going to help you find parts of your body that just don't think they can finish, but they're going to make you get to that finish line. Something that Lisa said to me last week when we were talking about this is that was really profound. We're thinking about walking with somebody in their faith journey. Tell me, tell me, you said something last week that the guy, the group you're running with, they just, they chose to run at your pace. Is that right? Yes. Tell, explain that. So I had a friend that was going to push me to my goal and he was going to run my race, not his race. He was going to encourage me and get me to where I needed to be. And so he, he could have run a he could have run much faster than me. Yes. But he chose to run with you. Yes, he did. And I, when she told me that, I love that idea. When you talk about the faith journey, that sometimes you, you run alongside somebody at, at their pace, not your pace. You don't ask them to come up to where you are. You ask them to, you, you run with them so that they can get and accomplish their goals. Is that right? You are. And, we, and I do that for others. We, we hold each other, like I said, we, we have a saying, it's no runner left behind. And we make sure that that last person is still out there with someone. I love that. Now, I know that you're getting ready for another race. So what's the, what, what happens to you in between races? Do you just quit training and just kind of couch potato? Never. Nope. You take about a week off, let your body re, you know, recuperate and heal, and then go right back after it. Okay. So there is this continued training. Yes. And now are you, you're getting ready for, what's your next uh, one? Brooklyn in May. And how big is that one? That's going to be a, it's another half, but it's in a ginormous race. Okay. So different, but same but thing. Same. Uh -huh. And you'll, you'll train accordingly? Yes. And so what is the fulfillment in for you to have trained, run a race with a group of people and finish? What can, how can you, what can you share with us about that? That enjoyment of... Just, just to accomplish something that I never thought I would be doing. I never thought I would be a runner and I love it. The thing that stuck out to me when she was telling me was just that they ran at their whoever's pace. And I think there's something really valuable about that for us, that what Paul and what she, Lisa's saying is that we run at each other's pace so that we can help each other along the journey. And there's something really valuable about that. And I just, any other wisdom for us as we think about running our race for Christ what would you give us? Is there any wisdom like about just getting started? I would start, uh, I would say start with a friend. Start with someone that's going to hold you accountable. Have that foundation and just continue to build on it. 
And I would also say start, start small. You don't, may not need, I'm not running a 13. I, I'm going to guess you weren't thinking 13s, were you, when you started? No. <laughs> that, that evolved over my running career. Okay. The other thing she told me was, is that when the runners get set to race, they kind of put you in... In pace groups. Pace yeah. groups. And so it's important to know your pace too, right? Yep. Now, so what happens if, you, if your ego trips in and you decide to go run up with a pace that you're really not there for? You pay for it. <laughs> it does. You, you realize that that is not your pace and you need to be where you should be. So if you decide to do that, what is the result of that in the race? You don't, either you don't finish or you, yeah. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. Okay. Well, I want to say thank you because I, I, her perspective about running either running with somebody or somebody running with you was so just the encouraging and I, that stuck with me all week so thank you Lisa appreciate your time thank you or you can take you can take that with you um, when I was in high school I decided to run the Wichita River run and my ego told me that I could be with the five minute milers And you know, those guys are rough. They run hard. And they were all stretching. I was wearing basketball shorts and basketball shoes. <laughs> and it, you know, I think the river runs two miles. Is that right? I'm looking at Brad, and Brad doesn't run. <laughs> Brad's looking at me like, I, I can't help you on that one. Isn't it two miles? Yeah, it's two miles. The other one I didn't even look at. And I remember um, I was there. And I was, I was with them for about 50 feet. And then reality kicked in. And I was like, God bless you guys. Um, wait for me. I, and, and it's funny because there's something about running your race at your pace. And here's the really cool part that Lisa said to me last week. Is sometimes you walk with somebody at their pace. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so look at, what, look, at what, look at what Paul says now in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I'm going to keep going. Even if my pace isn't as fast as somebody else's, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to run my race. That's so important. And if you're taking notes, this this thought to me was so like, duh, but it was so profound to me. It's this. Spiritual birth presupposes growth into maturity. Just think about that for just a second. Spiritual growth presupposes growth in maturity. If you were to become a follower of Christ, you were, you were to begin that journey of maturity. Your salvation part was just the beginning. There's a lot more ahead of you. And so he says, I'm going to lean forward. I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. Verse 15 says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anyone, and if, any, if anything you think otherwise, God will also reveal this to you. He says, and he's not talking about being mature in some arrogant kind of look at me kind of thing. He's saying, I'm taking steps and I think I've got enough right that you can actually look at me and follow me. So he says, those of us who mature, and, and that's why the church, and why is he saying this? Because the church needs people who are growing in Christ. 
to help everybody. Look at what he says in verse 16. Let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold true to what we've attained. Because you know what can happen? You know, you can, you can, you can hang your faith on what you used to do and where you used to be. And I've known, and you know, you know this too, you've known people who used to live for God, who used to be on fire for God, and who aren't anymore for one reason or another. They're not where they used to be. And he says, hold on to that and build on that. Talk about what Lisa said about foundation. Build your foundation. I know that when Lisa started running that she had to build up to that. And that means building a foundation. And your faith is no different. Your faith has to get, your foundation just has to get, it has to grow. Let us hold on to what is true that we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example to the example you have in us. Those are sobering words for us. Could you actually tell somebody to imitate you spiritually? Or would you ask them to go see somebody else? Could you actually with humility say, I think there's enough right at me, and you wouldn't have to acknowledge this, they would mimic you one way or the other. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes that is why the church needs people who are growing in Christ. So people have something to look at and go, okay, man, they're getting enough right in their marriage, in their parenting, in their finances, in their spiritual journey, in, how in their character, whatever it is, that I can look at them and go, okay, there's enough right there that I can, I can get something from them. I can learn and go, there's an example, because he says that at the end. And I will tell you this, regardless of your age, who you spend time with really matters. Who you spend time with really matters. As a youth pastor, I saw this so profoundly that when kids were hanging out with kids who had some interest in the things of God, it was contagious to them accordingly. And when kids chose to hang out with people who didn't care about the things of God, it went the other way. It can be the same way in your work life. It can be the same way at college. It can be the same way with your neighbors. The whole thing. Who you hang out with really matters. And you're going to imitate some of those things. You just are. And I, I love the, the, the idea of imitate is you're going to kind of become that. What you hang out with, you will become. And an example is this, a model or blueprint worthy of use in your life. Does somebody give you a blueprint? I want you to think for a second. Does somebody give, let me ask you two questions. Is there somebody that you can look at and go, there's some things about their spiritual life I would love to imitate. Think of that person. Is there a marriage or a parenting or a work, the way they work, the way their character, whatever it is that you go, that blueprint I can apply to my life. And that's what Paul is, is telling the church. He goes, look at people. And when we talk about people growing in maturity, this is why this is so important. is because the world needs biblical models to reflect Jesus. They're not talking about perfect. We're just saying we're, we're on a journey and we're going to at least show you what Jesus can be like. They need to see it. And we're, let me help you out here. We're called to it. We're called to it. So who you spend time with really matters. Imitate. You're going to imitate. If you're hanging out with people who are not, have no biblical interest, you're going to become that. And look at people's lives and say, because either way that works. The biblical model should help you go, okay, that blueprint, I can do some of that stuff. And this is an old quote that I heard 
years ago as a, as a youth pastor, says Christianity is not just taught, it's also caught. That hasn't gone away. It hasn't gone away. That it's not only taught, like you can hear me see it, but you really want to see if I'm going to live this out when you see me someplace else and vice versa. If I see you someplace else, am I going to see you living out what you profess? And that's what Paul is telling us. He goes, look at somebody that you can imitate, follow their example because they're going to show you some things. And that puts the heat on us a little bit. And that's a good thing, by the way. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. So verse 18 says this, for many whom I have told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. He goes, there were some that you probably could have followed their example, and now their examples are not worth following. And, and Paul, you can tell the hurt in Paul when he says with tears. That means he, he hurts that they are not walking the way that they should be, that they are, the, his words, enemies of the cross. They're enemies. And the thing I notice is it says that enemies of the cross, they walk as enemies of the cross. The reason that they do is because they did one thing that a lot of people like to do in the Christian faith. They want to add. They want to add something to this gospel. They want to add something to the cross. Well, surely there's something I can give. Let me help you out. No, you can't. Actually, you're going to take away from the cross when you try to add something to the cross. The cross is enough. It's not the cross plus anything else. It's simply the cross. What Jesus did is enough. You don't have to add anything to it. And that's what they were doing. They wanted to add something to it because they felt like if I add something, then I'm contributing. No, what you need to do is not contribute, but surrender. That's what you got to do. And, I, and, and everybody will say, I agree with you, Danny, but let me just be honest. Surrendering is hard. It is hard because you have to give up your self-will and say, God, you can and I can't. And especially guys, we like to think we can. There are girls too, but guys have this thing, I can, I can do that. No, no you can't. You can't. And this idea that, that what we, we can do through him, the gospel can do. We can't help it. And he's saying, you, there's nothing you add to this deal. You're actually going to make it worse. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, which mindset on, their mindset is on earthly things. And a couple things I took away from that, that block of passages out of verse 18 and 19. They put on a show as Christian leaders, but they're missing the cross-bearing example. You, I mean, you can tell me, you can put on a good show, you can say the right things, you can, you can act it out, but ultimately the cross, the, the taking up your cross, you won't do that. You'll, you'll talk about the cross, you can agree about the cross, but to actually take up your cross and live for God and to surrender yourself on a daily consistent basis, uh, I'm not doing that, but maybe somebody else will. Here's the other thing I've noticed. And what he is really trying to emphasize here, when he talks about the belly, he says, don't worship at the God of your stomach, which means appetite. How many of you are hungry right now? Be honest. Okay, thank you, Sonny. Some of you others are, you're hungry. You didn't get a cookie because somebody took five. Um, I don't know, maybe you did. But aren't appetites a crazy thing? Because appetites come in all shapes and sizes. It's not always about food. Can it be about clothing? Absolutely. Can it be about your bank account? Can it be about a title? A job title? 
Can it be about status? See, appetites come in all shapes and sizes. And appetites come in, and, and it's an appetite, and you're going, whoa, I'd really like to have that, or I'd like to be this way, or I'd like to, I want to eat that, or I want to, whatever it is. And what Paul is saying is that those appetites become your God, that you want that more than God himself. And one of the things that a mature believer, or going back to the sin piece, is acknowledging, God, this is an appetite for me that I struggle with. I want this. I feel like I need this. And those appetites are always kind of lingering out there for all of us. And so when you think about the appetites, because those appetites, I mean, let's just talk about food because food is what we all like. Food in itself, the appetite for food is not a bad thing. It's just when it becomes, it crosses that line, doesn't it? When you go back for your third helping, uh, about, oh, probably about five or six years ago, we were here for Thanksgiving and best, best family cooks really good for Thanksgiving. I mean, it's like a mouth-watering moment. And we, you know, second best to that is the next day, which is called leftover day. And man, I, we were having leftovers and, and I kind of don't eat any of this kind of food except for one time a year. You know what I'm saying? How many of you do that? Kind of basically, this is the year. If I'm going to, if I'm going to indulge in this food, it's going to be this day. So we got all the leftovers. We got, and I, you know, it's, it's leftover night. So I went back and I, I got my first plate and it was what I would call normal size. And here's the crazy part. When you get the normal size and you're done eating, how many of you are full, but somehow you figured out you can put some more in? <laughs> Have you ever done that? And you know that when you do it, you're going to pay dearly. So I go back and my second plate is the same amount as the first one. Now, my eyeballs are telling my appetite, we can do this. My stomach is saying, no, we can't. You can't do this. And I'm thinking, I will turn my body into a physical snake so I can eat this. Because if you've ever seen a snake, they can eat things much larger than them. I ate that second plate with pride and misery. And I beg for God to take my life. <laughs> because as soon as I finished my plate, my stomach said, we need to talk. And we didn't agree for a while. And I was, have you ever been so uncomfortable from eating that no, no position you sat, nothing you did would help? It was the worst feeling I've ever in that sense of overeating that I've ever had. And um, I prayed to God, please take this away and I will become a missionary. Uh, whatever. I was, man, you're, I was pleading with God. So I can't even sit downstairs and watch football and all that kind of stuff. I was so uncomfortable because my appetite trumped my logic and what was wise. And I remember that I walked around the outside just went for a walk. And I walked and walked and walked and walked just praying, like, just, can I just kind of dial this thing down? And I'm, I'm going to tell you this, this is true. From that day on, I have never allowed myself to eat like that ever again because God etched in my cranium the misery that I endured because my appetite trumped my logic. Trumped what I clearly knew that I shouldn't do and I did it anyway. 
And Paul is telling us, don't let the gods of your belly trump your logic, trump your reasoning, because they're going to trip you up and they're going to replace this, this life-breathing God for the belly, the belly God of appetites. And here's why this is so important. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious one by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. See, when we give ourselves over to the appetites, folks, you can't be, you don't want somebody to imitate that. There is not one person I would have wanted them to go, you need to imitate me as I finish my second plate about, about management of food. <laughs> it's like, there's something about that when we indulge the appetites of our belly that people don't want to imitate those things because typically they're not of God. And so I go back to the verse in 14. It says this, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. That pressing on says, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to finish well. Uh, I used to go watch cross-country racers when I was a youth pastor and the thing that always amazed me is that they trained their kids that typically their races were two point something miles and they raced, they didn't race on pavement, they raced over hills and there. And they had this last, I don't know, probably hundred yards where the runners, the, the goal for them was to have enough left in the tank that they could sprint the last hundred yards. And I mean, I was amazed watching these kids because they start out at a pretty fast pace. They're, they're all trying to get a personal record they're all, and then win their meet and their, and their school and the whole thing. But the last hundred yards I was watching when I was in Emporia in particular, it was a straight shot and you could see them running down the hill. And you could see their coaches and their family and people along there telling them, you know, kick it up, run. You got it. You can do this. And I remember Lisa and I were talking about there's something valuable about having people along your spiritual journey telling you you can do this, praying for you, encouraging you. And I, I, matter of fact, the news made mention of the race that she was in last week about how many people came out that had nobody in the race but simply to encourage them to finish the race. Folks, those of us who are maturing in Christ, one of the roles that we play is encouraging others. You can get through this season of life. You can take a spiritual step. Your marriage can get better. Your parenting, whatever it is, we as maturing believers, that's part of our job. That's part of our gig is to say, I want to help you. And when we think about finishing your race, the reason it's important that you finish in your race is because you're going to probably help somebody else. You're going to be a pace setter. If somebody else looks at your life and they go, if he can, I can. If she can, I can. They need biblical models out there. They don't need perfect models. And don't, and don't, don't get caught up in that. There's something about being mature enough to say, I don't have it all figured out, but I've got enough things figured out, but let's go for a ride. Let's see what we got. Strain ahead, finish well. I like what, um, uh, there's a movie out, I think it was, came out in 1980 or 1984, Eric Liddell. Um, he was a runner. Uh, it was Chariots of Fire, won Academy Award. And I love what he said. I want to finish with this quote. He says, Many of us are missing something in life because we are after the second best. I put before you that I have found the best, one who is worthy of all our devotion, Jesus Christ. He is the Savior for the young and the old. Lord, here I am. 
And if you ever go back and you ever see, want to rent that movie, it's a fabulous movie uh, about a, it's a true story about a runner. And he said, God built me for something and it's to run fast. And he looked at this life and he said, I don't want to be running for second best. I want to be running for Christ. Because when you're running, if you're running aimlessly, if you're running for other things, you're going to run for things that aren't of God and you're going to think that maybe they were. And so I'm going to tell you, you are called to grow in your relationship with God. It's not a suggestion. It's not, let me think about it. You were called. If you were born into a relationship with Christ, that right there tells you, that presupposes maturity, that you should grow in your relationship with God. Take steps. Don't look at somebody who's been a Christian for 50 years and go, man, I've got a long ways to go. No, as Lisa said, just start taking steps. You don't run a 13.3 marathon by just walking out. It, it, it takes some steps. It takes some, you've got to do it. Any of you who've done anything, it takes steps. Just to, regardless of the size, take steps. But Paul is telling us that that matters. It matters because you find joy in your, in your relationship with God and others, there's this idea that people see what Jesus is about. They see a living example. And Paul is saying, don't shy away from that. Don't be afraid to say, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not, not don't have it all figured out, but I think I got enough things that, man, let me show you. Let me tell you. I do that with people all the time. I don't have it all figured out. I'm still learning, especially the parenting thing. But you know what? I enjoy it. There is something so powerful that when we get to encourage somebody else in their journey, there's something so great about doing that. There's something so good about helping somebody take their step. There's something, as Lisa said, just about finishing your race. Folks, don't don't, don't coast into your last days with Jesus. Finish well. Finish. You know, I don't want to get to heaven and go, go, man, how much was left in your tank? I want to get to heaven and it was empty because I, I left it all out there for him. I left it all out there for him. And it's not talking about running fast. It's talking about, man, so many of you go, well, I can't, I can't run a race anymore. You can't, maybe not a physical race, but man, some of you have so much wisdom and so much maturity to, to walk up alongside somebody and say, I've got some things that might help you in your marriage. I've been married a long time. I, got, I can tell you about some finance decisions. I can tell you about job stuff. I can tell you about parenting, grandparenting, marriage, spiritual life, patience, whatever it may be. But you can't run a race for God unless you have a relationship with Him. You can't. You're going to run aimlessly about a lot of other things. And for me, that is the most important step that anybody of us in this room takes is that you have to have that to get started. But your race really matters that you run. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded of, of individuals in my life, be it my parents, pastors, youth pastors, youth volunteers, co-laborers in ministry who have been a part of my race. I am thankful for their ministry. I'm thankful for their impact. I'm thankful for their desire to help me along my own faith journey. But it started way back when I was 17, when I gave my heart to you. And I said, God, I can't, but you can. When I recognized I could not be my own savior. And there may be some in this room that that's the most important step they take. They can't start a race until they have the right race partner, and that's you. And you run at our pace. 
And I am so thankful for that, God. You help us to keep taking steps. You encourage us along the way. And I ask, God, that if there's somebody in this room that does not have you as their Lord and Savior, that they would have the courage to say, God, I need that first. There may be some in this room, God, that their spiritual journey has gotten sidetracked for whatever reason. And I pray, God, that they would know that their race begins today. That they would have the courage to say, I'm going to begin my, my journey with Jesus. I got sidetracked. I got sidelined. I, got, I, I spent too much time on my past, good or bad. And I need to forget that and press on. I pray, God, that we will press on because there is a world out there that needs to know what Jesus looks like. And you have called us to be your living examples. Father, if there are some in this room that want to know more about how to be a part of this church family, we would love to talk with them. The, we treat this stairwell as an altar, God, and if you're just convicting some that they just need to do business with you on whatever may not even be related to what we talk about today, that they'd have the courage and the freedom to do that. Father, for the next few moments, help us to engage with you, to hear from you, but most importantly, to respond to you. It's in your name that I pray.